Welcome back to Teacher's Lounge. I'm Peter Medlin, and this is the show where we tell the stories of education through in-depth interviews with local educators who are brought to us by you, the listener. Do you know an educator who deserves a spotlight? You probably do. Well, send them our way. You can email us at teacherslounge at niu.edu. You can also go there to make topic suggestions for things we should talk about on the podcast, or you could just tell us what you think about the show, tell us how we're doing, all of that, teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, we are back to sports. You remember a few weeks ago when we talked to a baseball coach and a PE teacher? Well, our episode today, coincidentally, is a retired middle school girls basketball coach and PE teacher. His name is Paul Williams, and he taught and coached at Prairie Hills Junior High in Markham over in the south suburbs. And I, and I felt for them, really. So I, my, my thought was, yes, okay, yes, I will do that. But I have to have the 8th grade team. So when the 8th grade team leaves, then... I can stop, and they'll have to find somebody else to yeah. coach the eighth grade <laughs> team, or you know, for next year, right? Because they had to they keep it going. But uh, as it was, I ended up uh, coaching the girls' basketball team for 14 years until I retired there, and that was just because I just fell in love with it. We talked about what he learned about teaching in all of his years, about traveling across the country with his basketball teams, and his massive stock of Lady Mustangs, memorabilia, and keepsakes that he has all over his house. All that and more, but first, let's get to the show. The year is almost over. Can you? Isn't that weird? It's going to be 2020 in a few weeks. That's going to... I feel like that's going to take a little bit getting used to, right? I mean, 2020, wow. But one of the biggest news stories of this year, of 2019, in Illinois, had to be marijuana. We had stories about hemp, CBD, diversity, cultivation, legislation, legalization, and medication. A lot of those topics were even covered in a huge statewide series WNIJ and member stations across the state did this spring called State of Cannabis. You could peruse or listen to all of those stories on our website right now if you want to, or you could stick around and wait until this episode is over either way. But anyway, it's almost here finally. It's almost 2020, which means that recreational cannabis will be legal in Illinois very, very soon, just a few weeks from when I'm saying this into my microphone. So in light of that, I talked to some folks from both a public and private university about the impact it'll have on Illinois colleges, specifically from a policy and enforcement standpoint. So here's what you need to know about cannabis on campus. On a recent Thursday, a small group of Northern Illinois University students took their seats at an open forum to discuss recreational marijuana. And administrators wanted to make one thing clear before the presentation. Marijuana will still be banned on NIU's campus. Jeannie Meyer is the Director of Student Conduct at NIU. She says that's mostly because of the Drug-Free Schools and Communities Act. In order to receive federal funding, you know how some people get those wonderful loans from the federal government for school? In order for NIU to accept those, NIU has to agree that the use of cannabis on campus will be prohibited. In recent years, the federal government has even issued more fines to institutions that have neglected the act. Rockford University is private, but it still has to adhere to that federal law. It won't look radically different for us as a private university. Randy Warden is the vice president for student life at RVU. You have kind of competing interests. Federal government is very concerned that your, you know, your schools are a drug-free environment, yet the states are allowing people to you know, recreate with, with drugs that the federal government doesn't allow. But both schools are turning their attention away from prevention and towards education. 
That's teaching students where cannabis is allowed, along with how to be as safe as possible if you choose to use it. For example, you cannot have it on university property, and that includes if your car is parked on campus. Meyer at NIU says you should also be aware of what's called constructive possession. Which means if you have a pile of weed sitting in your residence hall room and you obviously see it and it's close to you, you might be found responsible. Meanwhile, at Rockford University, Randy Warden says enforcement will focus more on usage. I don't think any longer we will be confiscating marijuana that we come across because it's no longer an illegal illegal substance. We're just saying you can't use it on our campus. And that'll be a distinction that students will have to get used to. And if you do get caught on school property with cannabis, Meyer at NIU says the penalties are the same even if you're of legal age. You could face a fine. You could be um, ordered to do a substance use program so that you understand the impact. It's very similar to how we treat underage drinking and also smoking. From a law enforcement perspective, Jason John says there's a large range of penalties. He's the deputy chief of police operations for the NIU police. And violations may look different for non-NIU students, also known as non-affiliates, caught with cannabis. Probably going to be referring to student conduct. For non-affiliates, I mean, we do have um, city ordinances. The DeKalb City has their certain ordinances that they have that we will probably issue to non-affiliates. With the decriminalization in Illinois, what that means for us is that our priorities are going to kind of shift in regards to public safety, um, education, and more of um, traffic safety. Michael Zajac is the Associate Dean of Students in the Division of Student Affairs at NIU. He agrees the university mostly wants to focus on education. We're not going to say, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, it's bad. It's like, we just want to provide this health initiative. He says the university is doing that through a communication plan. They updated their website to outline drug-related policies and provide an interactive map of where you can have cannabis. Their plan also includes wellness events like the Student Forum. Andrea Drott works in recreation and wellness. She says it's all about safety. If somebody's getting stoned and not going to class, that's a bigger concern to me than if they're smoking and still succeeding academically and their health is still okay. At Rockford University, administrators say they've seen an increase in marijuana use for the past several years. They're not certain how legislation will impact that trend, and that's why leaders say they would rather get the message out now before the law takes effect. All right, for the uninitiated, it is time for our news roundup, which is pretty much just catching you up on some news that you could have missed over the last few weeks. It's our last episode. A brand new story from NPR shines a light on a dispute between Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and hundreds of thousands of defrauded student borrowers. More than 200,000 students who attended for-profit institutions claim they were lied to about transferability of their credits and their post-grad job opportunities. And documents obtained by NPR show that while members of the education department agreed with those borrowers and believed they should get their debts from these schools erased, DeVos disagreed and only thought they deserved partial relief and that their credits did have some value. And of course, you can go over to NPR.org and you can go through the rest of that story, dive into more detail because there's lots more to explore from that story. And in more local news, several weeks ago, rumors circulated on social media about a potential threat against Northern Illinois University. And the university sent a late night community awareness message telling students and faculty that the threat was not credible. But many students want the school to be more open about those potential threats and the way they communicate about them. 
On November 18th, Caitlin Frisbee woke up to Facebook and Twitter reactions from her classmates about the situation. Frisbee is a psychology major at NIU. She didn't have class that day, but knew people who chose not to go to campus. She was relieved she didn't have class, but decided to leave early even the next day when she passed the NIU memorial, remembering lives lost during a 2008 campus shooting. I walk past that every day I'm on campus, and that's just like, wow, you know, that actually happened. And so that's, I actually passed that, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go home. I didn't go to my last class. She felt the alert from NIU was vague and impersonal. In it, officials said NIU police investigated social media reports of an alleged threat of violence against campus. The alert said police contacted the individuals involved and determined there was no credible threat or need for concern. I think that that type of scenario should be taken like more, you know, with more emotion and not seem so robotic. And Frisbee is one of dozens of NIU students to take to social media to voice her displeasure with the situation. And I just wanted to understand, was I just freaking out or like, does everybody else feel the same way? And I, and I got a lot of messages after that, like, yes, I feel the same. NIU's Associate Vice President for Student Affairs followed up with an email clarifying that there was no threat and highlighted student services available. A spokesman for the university declined an interview and said they're devising ways to better handle rumor control. Now, before my conversation with Paul Williams, how about we take a quick break to hear about another one of my favorite podcasts? Hey there, teachers and educators. I want to cut in just a second to tell you about another WNIJ podcast you might be interested in, especially you history buffs out there. I'm Clint Cargile, host of Drinking with Lincoln, where we interview Lincoln portrayers to get to know America's favorite president. And in our next episode, I'll have a drink with not Abraham, but Mary Lincoln. Mary Lincoln's story can stand on its own. She doesn't need to be next to Abraham in order to tell her story. That's Mary Lincoln presenter Laura Keyes. Learn about her life as Lincoln and several other historical characters she portrays. That's next time on Drinking with Lincoln, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, here's my conversation with retired girls basketball coach and physical education teacher, Paul Williams. And a little bit before the interview, here's him taking me through his humongous collection, his storage containers full of old lady Mustangs, all the girls basketball team, memorabilia and photos and just a whole bunch of old pens that he has. Tons of stuff. I can't even, how, how do you show you this one? Because this is what I'm going to, this is my plan. This is all lady blues, lady Mustang stuff. All of this stuff in here. All this stuff? All this stuff. Everything in here is that. This I, is what more than a decade of coaching looks like. Yeah. 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 And when I, like uh, during the games at the Prairie Hills, yeah. our, it was always packed. Uh-huh. Nobody that we ever went to, you know, to a school. Right. For junior high, there was maybe, you know, maybe six couple people parents, there, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. a couple parents, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe 20 people the most, you know. At the, the last game of the year, this was gigantic. It's it, big blue butcher paper, you know, which is like... Oh. Like, like this? Yeah. All the way across, I would stay up, I, I would stay at school, and I would paint Lady Mustangs. And then I put uh, yeah, Khadijah, 32, Kiana, 16, you know, whatever. Right. You know, all their a, a numbers. Thanks for the memories. That's from Bob Hope. I don't know if you know yeah. who Bob Hope is. Oh, yeah, of course. Nobody at school knew what that yeah. meant, you know, but I go... Lady Mustangs, thanks for the memory. Lady Mustangs, 2003, thanks for the memories. You know, yeah. it's the last game. It's like the end of your USO it, tour. Yeah, 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 right. Right. I taught at the Prairie Hills Junior High School for 34 years. The first year I was uh, a substitute. 
I was just coming out of college from Illinois State. Do you remember at what point in your life you decided, you know, I think this is it for me? Yes. I, at first, my grandfather and mother uh, suggested that I go into business administration. Oh, you make a good, you know, you, you, you can make a good living with that, you know. And right. I, it just wasn't me, you know. And I thought that when I would uh, get married and have kids that I didn't want to be like a a not-at-home dad or not-on-task dad, and uh, I would be off when they would would be off. Yeah. And also, I love sports. So you always kind of had that in the back of your mind? Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to do physical education and uh, be a coach. Yeah. And I thought that would just be the greatest, you know, thing. It was wonderful. I mean, it, the relationships that you get with the kids you teach are always there, and the parents of the kids you teach. Yeah. And uh, uh, to this day, I still stay in contact with many of them. Is that something that, you know, when you first start teaching and you're in your 20s, is that something that you think about much? Is it something that you think about more and more? The older you get, the more experience you have? Well, at the time, I just I just wanted to be good for the kids, you know, and to help the kids. Right. And uh, make them feel good about themselves, you know, and that's that's probably one of the biggest joys of being a teacher is that you can help them progress in that manner. But there's something about playing a game or playing a sport where you can physically see someone starting to get more confident and starting to see them like, oh, like they actually made the shot or they actually did this. There's like something tactile about like seeing people improve. And it's such, especially for you, it's such an interesting age in middle school because that's such like a transition airy period for for kids' lives, right? Yeah, it's a very impressionable age for sure. Yeah, you have have a big impact on them. Yeah. Or a lot of them, just like I did when I went through school. You know, there's just certain teachers that just click with you and they... And where I was, there was a lot of students that didn't have uh, a two-parent home. And uh, I think that they relied on their teachers maybe even a little more. There was one teacher, I'd like to mention him. He was, his name was Joe Leotine. He was at our school. He never missed a day, and he was as strict as could be. And our school was not, you know, it was a a tough school in in a certain regard. His class was always just perfectly order. I mean, he was just a master teacher, a master teacher. What did he the teach? Kids, the kids' uh, social studies. He showed me and helped me learn what a teacher really is. Yeah, do you remember anything in particular that, it might not be a specific thing that he told you, but do you remember some of those some of those things that you learned early on? Well, I think maybe one thing he said, like, like sometimes, you know, kids can be quite contentious, you know, and uh, he said, as long as you know that you care for them, then that is it. Right, yeah. Once they think you don't care about them, and I have to say sometimes, there were teachers that really, I don't know why they were teachers, because they would say like, oh, I can't stand these kids, oh my, you know. Yeah. But uh, as long as you know that that they care for you, then they'll, then it'll all be good. They'll come around, yeah. Yeah. Do you have in mind about which sports you wanted to coach? Was it always going to be basketball, or did you just oh, like, no. I just want to be a part of it? Yeah. When I got to Prairie Hills, and I wasn't planning on staying at Prairie Hills, I, I got a job, which I was really happy for. I thought I'd stay there, you know, one year, two years. I doubt three, and then it was 34. But uh, That tends to be how life happens yeah. <laughs> sometimes, right? Yeah. 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 It, 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 it turned out uh, not what I wanted, but now that it's over, I wouldn't give it up for anything. It was a great experience the whole time through, yeah. and it got better as the as the longer that I 
but I, I coached the boys basketball for about a dozen years. And then my kids were, were uh, old enough and they were uh, in the Glen Ellen Park District here. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, coach them. So I quit coaching the boys basketball. And then they were going to start a girls basketball team. And a bunch of girls came to me and said, Mr. Williams, I know that you coached before and we had to have a coach before we can get a team. And they want to start a team. I said, they'll, they'll find somebody. I just don't have the time. I don't have kids at this point. Because I had my kids and I was coaching. I wanted to coach them. So they didn't have a team that year. So next year, they had to have two coaches, one for seventh and one for eighth. They, they came to me again. It was a really good group of girls, and I, and I felt for them, really. So I, my, my thought was, yes, okay, yes, I will do that. But I have to have the eighth grade team. So when the eighth grade team leaves, then I can stop, and they'll have to find somebody else to <laughs> yeah. coach the eighth grade team or, you know, for next year right? because they had to keep it going. But uh, as it was, I ended up uh, coaching the girls' basketball team for – 14 years until I retired there. And that was just because I just fell in love with it. That you, in some way, helped kind of fund the program and help them travel around. Do you want to talk a little bit about what about that? Oh, I did. Yeah, right. When I, when I first had the team, none of the girls that came out for the team, they were good athletes, yeah, pretty much. But none of them knew how to play basketball. So I started in the summer to take the kids who I had in seventh grade. I would work with them at the Markham Park District. What I wanted to do was bring them to tournaments. What I did was get like what they call an AAU team. Yeah. I would start in the spring. The, the girls were still in the, in the school as I was. And uh, I would practice like four or five days per week. So uh, I, I practiced with them, and we went on many tournaments. Like a, a, most of them were up by Libertyville. Yeah. But I also brought them on overnight trips, and the parents came, of course. And uh, it was it was just a great thing. And we went down to Kansas. It's the biggest tournament in the country for sports. There's over 900 teams that that are there. And uh, we played there. Uh, we went to the University of Tennessee, uh, where Pat Summit was. Oh yeah, of course. And we played on all the big courts, and we ate in the dorms. The girls did. You got the full Rocky Top experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was great. And Pat Summit was just fantastic. We did that at Indiana, also at the University of Indiana. We played on on the Bobby Knight court there. Of course, yeah. And uh, you didn't get the opportunity to throw any chairs across it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not yet. It maybe felt like it, but, yeah, but, but, but no, no. <laughs> but it was it was really a good thing. I mean, a, a lot of the kids had never been out of Chicago area. How many years did you do the, the AAU and all that? For the first two years, I didn't have an AAU team, so it would have been 12 years. And when it came time to try out for the girls' basketball team at school, I would have a hundred girls come out for the team, and uh, really, and, and twelve years before then, they didn't have a team. Yes, yeah, yes. You stopped coaching when you retired, right? Or did yes. You, well, yeah. when I when I retired, I I got a job at Hillcrest, okay, which yeah. was the school that Prairie Hills fed into. I knew all the kids who were there while I was coaching at Hillcrest because I had the lion's share of all of the kids that he had. So that was cool that. too. So that you got to, you know, since you knew the coach that you were feeding oh, the yeah, program right. into, you could yeah, kind of follow was... him all the way through high school and stuff. Yeah, hey, staying at a school for that long, it it was it it was 
It was really good. It was. I'm glad that I never I decided to leave, really, because it was a it was a great thing, and that the girls basketball kind of culminated. the uh, The girls played. We played eight games at home and eight games away, and then there was a state tournament, and we went down state five times, and uh, that was a great experience for for everyone. Twice we could have won the whole thing, but we didn't. That's the way it goes, you know. Oh yeah. But uh, a couple bounces here and there. Yeah, yeah. That was. It's just the breaks of the game. That's happened. how that works. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we when we got down there, we beat a team that had with uh, Morgan Tuck. That was Bolingbrook. She was six three. She could shoot free throws. She could shoot from outside. She could score, rebound, and she had another six footer on her team with her. And she had like and this two is still junior, junior high? high school. Oh. When when we were at the uh, state tournament that year, yeah, we're sitting down and in come with these uh, designer warm ups with two hundred dollars shoes on, you know, uh-huh. and they're and they and they come walking in. They passed us, and I said to the guy who said, "I go, yeah, but what, is that the local college team? You know, that's they coming in or high school team?" He goes, "No, that's the team you guys are playing today." So. <laughs> So we. Uh, what do you tell the team in the huddle after that? Going uh, up for jump ball, and they're like yeah. seven inches taller than them. You're like, all right, well, uh, I guess jump if you want to. <laughs> yeah, they had a great. See, I play all my kids, no less than twelve kids a game, no less, because we pressed all game, we fast broke full all game, full court press, full court press. I love it. The whole game. I love it. But I kept on fresh bodies, where all the other teams, you know, they they had like a good six, seven players. And maybe that's it. And they passed the ball to the open girl, the six footer, and, and she missed a ten foot shot. And we got the rebound and my little four foot ten point guard hit a basket at the buzzer and then we won. That was that was like that, that was phenomenal. You know, I always want to ask people that are especially teachers that I talk to that have done it for that did it as long as you did for, you know, thirty plus years. Just like what are the, some of the biggest le- lessons that you learned about teaching throughout all that time? Patience for one. You definitely need patience, and uh, even when the kids get so bad, they are hard to like at that moment. You still have to like them, you know. And then you it, have to make sure they know that that you care that about. That you them. care, yes. And if you can do that, then I think then then everything just say fills in place. Thanks a ton for coming back for another episode of Teacher's Lounge. It means a lot to me, as always. And please feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. Along with that, all of your suggestions for topics and themes, all that stuff that we should cover on the show, the email is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the show, why don't you subscribe and leave us a rating? It helps other people find the show so we can find other educators to talk to, other awesome stories like Paul Williams. And a special thanks, of course, to Paul Williams for showing me around all that memorabilia that you've stocked up over the years. You can even see a picture of Paul holding some of those old photos and holding a basketball if you check out the episode on our website, WNIJ.org. Thank you to the Rockford Area Band Kind Ups, as always, every episode for providing that awesome music you heard during the show. Kind Ups is spelled K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S. And you can find more of their music on their SoundCloud or their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A. And don't you worry, we will be back very, very soon with another episode of Teacher's Lounge. I've been your host as always, Peter Medlin. Have a great week.